Good morning. Hey, can I just take a second and, and just kind of acknowledge and brag on two up here? You know, we have an amazing uh, band, and, and week in and week out, they do such a great job. Um, but I want you to know that the two that stood right here are part of our student uh, ministry. And, uh, you know, everybody is, uh, is a participant here. We, you know, we used to have a, a guy that was doing some interim work. He used to say there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. And, and, and you saw that on display this morning. And I want you to know that this was Allie who was right here. This was her very first time leading. And so just an amazing, I don't know what you were doing at 16, but I wasn't doing this at 16. And so just an amazing moment where you get to uh, be led by our students. And what better day than back to school Sunday. Uh, I want you to breathe then, if you're part of administration, if you're a teacher, if you're uh, a, a parent, five down, four down, depending on where you go to school, only 175 left. You got this, and we are here uh, with you and for you during that process. And we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. Uh, we're in a series called Eats with Sinners, and um, we're, it just fits perfect with Back to School Sunday, and so you're going to kind of see where we go this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, they're on the tables. They're at next steps. We would love for you to take one of those. It's our gift to you. Uh, but don't worry, I'm going to put everything on the screen this morning as well. And so we just want to welcome you. I'm Jason. I'm the lead pastor. And I just want to say that you are in a very welcome space. I don't know where you come from. We don't need to know. Um, we say this every week. We are a community of imperfect people. And so if you're dragging some imperfections in here with you this morning from last night, last week, last month, last year, you are in welcomed company. In fact, you're in a very like company. We uh, we just say that, you know, we're, we're not going to put on any kind of face or any kind of front. But we do believe that God's taking us somewhere. And each of us are navigating those steps at our own pace. And so we just believe that God is going to move us into a life that's fully devoted. So I just want to welcome you this morning. Let's pray and we'll get going. Father, this morning I just want to say thank you for the amazing set of worship that we got to participate together in. Thank you for the table that we get to come and be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us and in that who we are. So Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not ifing, but just loving. And so, Father, we're so grateful for that. And so I'm grateful for this text today out of Luke 14 as we see Jesus yet again eating with sinners. God, we pray that you would just empower us to be better people this afternoon, tomorrow, and Tuesday and Wednesday than we were yesterday. And, and whatever that means for each of us individually, God, we just ask that you act upon our behalf and you will use your spirit to infuse just the right question and just the right thing at just the right time for each of us. So, Father, be with us this morning as we kind of dive into this beautiful story of your son doing what it is that we all have been called to do, we want to do, we hope that we desire to do, and that is eat with people, invest in people. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. One of the things uh, that you need to know about Wellhouse, if you're new here, we love to party. It's just what we do. Uh, in fact, we had t-shirts several years ago. We went out for a service day and into our community, and we just had shirts that says, we love to party. And people were like, oh, nice shirt. Where'd you get that? And we're like, well, we, we gave these out at church. And they, it was kind of these strange looks um, when you tell people that, hey, we're Jesus followers, but we love to party. I was at a party a while back. Uh, one of our partners was celebrating a massive milestone in his family for somebody in his family. And so he threw what was just an absolute throwdown. It, uh, the, the food spread was absolutely amazing. The dance floor was packed all night. Uh, there where it was just this scene of people, young and old. 
And I, I saw some old people catching up because they hadn't been in the same room in quite some time. And it was neat to see those moments and, and have them pull, you know, someone aside and say, let me introduce you to somebody. And, and so you had kind of that element. But then you had these really young people who were just meeting some of the old and for the first time seeing some of the older in new light. Like, hold up. I didn't know old people had fun, or I didn't know old people danced, or I didn't know, you know, it was like this moment. The DJ was fabulous. He played everything from JT to the wobble, and again, when you begin to see all sorts of people wobbling, it was just this amazing scene, and, and the party just went all night. People laughed, and they ate, and they danced the night away. I remember sitting back at my table and just smiling at some of the people that I saw dance, not laughing at. I don't do that. I'm more mature than that. I'm spiritual. But I remember smiling and going, that is awesome. That's what I want to be one day. And then I finally got the courage throughout the evening to, to get up and, and dance myself. And I saw other people s smiling. Because uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I don't dance very often in public. But when I do, it is an absolute thing of wonderment. <laughs> but I watched this kind of unfold. And I love this. Just to see people like enjoying the company of each other, people they know, they used to know, but have reacquainted with, or people that they don't know. And I remember at some point in the evening, I saw the host of the party sitting off to the side with this big grin on his face. So I thought that maybe he had had like a stroke or something. I didn't know what had happened. So I sat down and I said, you okay? And it was kind of this glassy eye. And he said, this has been amazing. And he, he said, I can't help but just sit here and smile. He said, I'm tired and I'm broke, but I cannot wait to do this again. This has been a night for the books. You know, and Jesus, I imagine, had these moments. These moments where he just would recline at some point in the afternoon or in the evening as the meal had finished up and people were laughing and enjoying the company of one another, eating and dancing the night away. I have to imagine there are these moments when Jesus sits with a smile and says, this is amazing. I'm tired. I'm broke. But I cannot wait to do this again. Jesus loved to throw parties. He loved to be at parties, parties where people young and old, people from inside town and outside town, people would laugh and eat, but more importantly, these places where everyone at the party felt valued. See, he threw parties where it wasn't just a party for party's sake, it was parties where he was intentionally investing in people. He was investing in not just them as individuals, but he was investing in them as families, them as neighborhoods, them as community. And he allowed people in these moments. And we've seen several of these so far in this series, and we're going to look at another one today. But it's in these moments where he allows people to feel a part of something bigger than they typically get to experience somewhere else. See, in other parts of their life, in other parts of town, in other parts of society, they didn't get to feel these moments. But in these moments, Jesus capitalizes on something, and he allows people to come and enter into these spaces that would typically uh, signify a certain social status or a certain economic status, and they didn't get to typically be invited into those places and experience these types of things. And all of a sudden, with Jesus, they found themselves not just at the party, they were in the middle of the party. 
And many times they were the point of the party. These were people that Jesus surrounded himself with and threw parties for and went to their parties. These were people that were considered unworthy, undeserving. They were lost. And Jesus says, well, just because you're lost, meaning you're not where you need to be or supposed to be at the moment, doesn't make you a lost cause. And so he would invite people in to these places. So in Luke 14, there's something really unique that happens. Jesus is at a party, but he's going to take time while he's at the party to instruct them based on some things that he sees on how to throw a party. Jesus is at a party, and there comes a moment in, in throughout the course of the evening where he goes, you guys don't throw parties very well. So let me show you, let me, let me tell you, let's walk through some things on how to throw a party. Let me show you how to invest in someone besides yourself. And so in Luke 14... He has this moment, and he has been invited to not just a Pharisee, and if you're new to kind of church terms and and these old religious terms, a Pharisee was just a religious leader. And they were the more prominent people in the community, but it says that he wasn't just at a Pharisee's house, he was at a prominent Pharisee's house. So he was a leader of Pharisees. So here he is at this moment, and we kind of see this thing unfold in three different chapters, if you will, of the uh, three different scenes on the evening. The first is a very simple one. They're coming into the house, and a man approaches them. Obviously not a man who's coming into the house with them, probably someone on the outside. And so he's, he has this moment where the, the man kind of asks for healing, or Jesus notices that he has a swelling problem. He's, he's holding fluid. There's a sickness Now, what you need to know about this, very briefly, is this. They would have looked at this man and said, he's getting what he deserves. He has done something somewhere that has displeased God, and God's judgment, his wrath, is coming out and making him sick. So we don't feel any compassion. He's getting what he deserves. And Jesus says, well, you guys are a little off. So Jesus does what Jesus does. Jesus heals the man on his way into the party. So there's kind of scene number one. But I think that scene has bearing on the end scene. So here we, we see this, and so finally they get inside. And he begins to immediately notice something that bothers him. He's standing, waiting to be seated. But he notices that everyone else is beginning to go ahead and position themselves, muscle their way position themselves and move around the table in order to get what would be considered the seats of honor. Now, what you need to know is that the the table seating chart in this culture was of utmost importance. If the host was at the middle of the table or the head of the table, the seats most valuable were the ones next to him, and then next to that, and then down the row. And so the seats of importance, the ones where the most important people sat, were at the right and left of the host. And so you see people beginning to muscle and jostle their way through the crowd in position to get as close to the host as they could possibly get. Now, the the two to the right and left were probably reserved, but from there on, those might have been up for grabs. And so he sees this and he witnesses this. They're all trying to get close and Jesus just takes a moment and he kind of drops a truth bomb in the middle of the room. And he says, you know, you guys, it's better to take the last seat and get moved up. It's better to have that moment where the host would come down and go, what are you doing way down here? Come on, I've got a better seat for you. Than to get all the way to the middle of the table and somebody go, what are you doing here? 
Let's reassign you. You need to be way down here. He says, it's better to be humble and take the last seat than to be humiliated. He says, it's better to to take this seat here and get moved up than to take this seat and get moved down. And so here's what happens to the room. Everybody goes. Jesus seems to tense up the moment. But he's not finished yet, so he goes what seems off script. But when you begin to understand the context of where he's going, ultimately, it's not off script at all. Maybe he's got the swelling man on his mind. Or maybe this moment that I'm about to read to you has less to do with who's in the room and more to do with who's not in the room. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 14 after they've gone through this seating process. And Jesus just says, listen, the first shall be last. You need need to take that way down here. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner or throw a party, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, when you throw a party, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. And the room, like I said, would have gone. Everybody would have went, oh, here we go, Jesus doing it again. Last week he's eaten with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and the tax collector's friends and Jesus. Now you're talking about the poor and the crippled. I mean, who wants that around, right? You're talking about the lame, the blind. Somebody around the table has to be thinking, if not saying, come on, Jesus, you're killing the vibe. It's this moment where everybody's like, what is up with this dude? Who invited him? And you can kind of feel the tension of the room. And it's this moment where people are thinking, if they're not saying, why would anyone invite those kinds of people? Why would anyone invite someone to a party where there's no chance that they're going to throw a party and get invited back? Why would anyone invest time in people that has no return on it? See, I throw a party, and part of my guest list is made up of people who also throw parties. So I'm going to invite you to mine, and then when it comes time for your banquet, your party, guess what? I expect the invitation back, and Jesus says, what are you doing? And Jesus is making a point, and here's the point, that the best displays of hospitality is that which is given, not exchanged. Jesus says, you guys are too concerned with exchange. What I give, now, what do you have to give me? And see, they had built a whole culture, a whole society, a whole religion based on this. I'm willing to give you this, but I'm always going to expect something. And Jesus says, you know, the best kind of hospitality, the best kind of invitation, the best kind of party is one that you just give. That there's no exchanging There's nothing expected in return. And so someone kind of overhears all this, and again, in a moment of tension, there's this this verse that kind of pops up where someone in the room recognizes the tension, recognizes that this party is off track, 
And so they try to bring this party back on track. And what they don't realize is that they, they're just going to dig themselves deeper. If you look, the next verse, he says, Blessed is the one, this is someone else speaking, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, what you need to know about this, this is a dilly-dilly moment. Jesus has completely killed the vibe of the party. It's tense. And some go, someone says, blessed are the ones who will eat at the kingdom of, you know, in the kingdom of God, the feast in the kingdom of God. It's this, well, Jesus, despite our differences, won't it be great when we get to eat in the presence of God, dilly dilly. He's trying to get the party back on track. And all he does is make things worse for himself. So Jesus begins to challenge the assumption that the one who makes the statement will in fact get invited to the table. Let's talk about that, he says. You're assuming that you will get to eat at the feast thrown by God. But where, from where I stand, I think you're running the risk of not getting the invite. And so he begins to unfold this. And so he tells a story, kind of act three of the dinner night. He tells a story of a man who's planning a great party. And so as culture would have it, you would send out the initial invitation and people would RSVP back. And then on the day of the party, when the food was almost ready, he would send out his servants and he would gather up. The food's almost ready. Go ahead and make your way. Go ahead and make your way. So there were these two sets. And all the people that he mentions has RSVP'd. So now it's time for the big party. So he sends all of his servants out. And, and they begin to make excuses. They begin to back out. One says, well, you know, I would, I would love to make it. I know I RSVP'd. I know I said I wanted to be a part of the party. But when it comes down to it, I bought some land. And so i got to go tend to that. And another guy says, well, I, I, I'm looking at some livestock. I've got some oxen that I'm going to buy. Sorry, you know, tell the host. I'll catch him next time. And so they begin to make these excuses. One says, well, it, I, I'm... Uh, I'm a newlywed. You go, well, what would stop a newlywed from coming to the party? Well, the honeymoon. And so here, the guest list begins to disintegrate. And as he's telling this, they don't pick up on it, but what he's doing is he's giving a representation of Israel at that time. Giving a, a representation of religion at that time. Oh, you guys say you want in. But when it comes down to it and it's time to actually make the move to get in, you guys have all sorts of excuses. So at this point, the host has a decision to make. So he stands with his servants and he says, well, do I postpone the party? I mean, I could always pick another date. The only problem with that is the food's ready. And so I've gone and I've invested a lot of expense on the day. I mean, the food is, is ready and I'd hate for that to go to waste. What if we invite some other people? So he has these two decisions. Do I postpone? Do I just find some new guest, last-minute guest? So he tells his servants, here's what I want you to do. Go and invite, and this is going to sound familiar. He says, go and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now remember, he's already told them that once. So here he is telling them again, and so... He begins to say, go and invite the people who normally don't get invited to these types of social events. And so what happens is the room begins to fill. So he walks in and he says, but there's still seats available. 
So he tells his servant, he says, okay, you, you've kind of scoured the marketplace, right? You've scoured the places where you know that those types of people hang out. And he says, yeah. He says, all right, I want you to do, I want you to take it to the next extreme. I want you to go to the edge of the city. That's where the total outcast hung out. And look what he says, verse 23. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads, go out into the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. He says, I want a full house. Now, guys, if you're new to Jesus, here's what you need to know about Jesus. This is kind of Jesus 101. That Jesus always wants a full house. He doesn't want anyone left out. When Jesus looks out, he says, I don't want a single empty seat. He says, I don't care where you got to go. I don't care who it is that you find. I want you to let them know, even to the country roads. I want you to go to the dirtiest, socially most unacceptable places you can find because there's still seats left, and today I'm investing in them. I'm going to invest in them the way no one else in our culture, in our society, within religion, is willing to invest in them. Go and fill my house. And that's what you need to know about Jesus. I love what Rachel said a minute ago, that, that, that it's just love. It's just love. And he says, go and let them that today and from now on, they are valued. They are wanted. There's a space for them. There's a seat for them. They are loved. Go find the people who, who don't belong anywhere else. And guys, this is what made Jesus, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, this is what makes Jesus so irresistible. And I believe that this is what's going to make his church in 2018, 19, 20 so irresistible. It's these moments, this attitude, these places, these actions that we put to them that says we're going to go invest on the outskirts of town. So what's this mean for us? As we kind of wind this down for the morning, what does all this mean for you and I? And here's what Jesus does. This is why he tells the story. This is why the story is, is written down by Luke. Jesus wants to ensure after he's gone that we continue to be good hosts. He wants to ensure his followers that we become the very best party host. That we are people that just know how to throw good parties. Parties where at the end of the night we, we sit down and we go, man, I'm tired and I'm broke, but I can't wait to do this again. Did you see so-and-so interact? And did you see? Man, that was an awesome moment. I mean, it's these moments where everybody just had a good time and no one felt like an outsider. So what's that look like? I'm just going to give you three things real quick that you can take with you. I think there are three keys that Jesus shows us time and time again, not just in this story, but throughout the course of the Gospels as we begin to unfold his life in this series. It's three keys to investing in people the way Jesus invested in people. So here's the deal on Back to School Sunday. As you walk into those spaces and you encounter students, ask yourself, am I willing to make these investments? As I begin to gather around lunch tables and on ball fields and in band rooms, and you begin to see the people, and you know who they are. 
the difficult people, the ones that you know are going to test your nerves. It's the one who won't turn in the form on time, doesn't care about the form, and lets you know they don't care about the form. It's the people that you know when you got assigned to them, you know, when they move from third grade to fourth grade, and you sit all summer and go, please don't put them in my room, please don't put them in my room, please don't put them in my room. You get your list, and you go, oh, they're in my room. I hate my life. <laughs> you walk in and say, am I willing? to make that investment as a parent, as a, as a guardian, as a grandparent, as an influencer, as a mentor. These are investments, and they're simple. Here we go. Number one, it's going to require an investment of our energy. And you go, I'm already out of that. Well, five-hour energy, and let's go. But you're going to have to spend some energy. And some of that energy may be restraint. And some of that energy may be execution. And so in those moments, I want you to have, you go, I'm tired. I want you to dig deep. And that's why this is so important. These moments where we get to come and rest and just just fill up so that when we go out tomorrow into these spaces that we're talking about, we do have some energy. That's why I encourage you to rest and take those moments where you just kind of unwind because there's moments when you're out there with people that energy is going to be vital. And again, it's not just the positive energy, it's the, <laughs> the restraint from displaying negative energy. And so it's going to require an investment of energy. The second is this, it's going to require an investment of our resources. One of the things, if, again, if you're new here, that I love about Wellhouse is we say this every week too, we are a wildly generous group of people. Our books are wide open, we don't ever ask you for money, but what money we get, we give away. And we know that it takes resources to invest in parties, to invest in people. It it, it takes resources, and it's not always money. Sometimes it takes resources of food, and sometimes it takes resources of giving that that child a ride home so that they can play basketball or they can be on that football team because otherwise if I don't give them the ride home, they don't get that. It's that moment where you begin to invest whatever resources. You begin to look at what it is that's around you and begin saying, how can I begin to give this away? Are you willing to give up something for others? You know, look, Jesus says later on, as if we had time to unfold this completely, if you keep reading in Luke 14, he says this, he says, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. And you go, whoa, 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 hold up, Jesus. Now, I read a book that says, if I follow you, I get to live my best life now. It's health and wealth, right? Silk suits and gated communities. And Jesus says, I'm not sure where you got that idea. He says, see, the the picture I'm going to paint for you is this. It's a willingness, if necessary, to give up everything. See, it's not about exchanging. It's about just what you can give. And there are going to be moments where he says, listen, you got to be sacrificial. you got to be generous. you you got to invest in people with what you have. After all, it's just temporary investment in you, so just invest it back into your communities, invested into children, invested into the next generation, invested into your neighbors, invested into your coworkers, invested in the ones that no one else sees worthy or deserving investment. And then he says, let me take it to the next level. He says, just in case you're not picking up on this, he says, it's going to require an investment of our lives. Luke 14, 27, he says, whoever does not carry your cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Guys, a cross only had one purpose. No one came off a cross alive. 
And he paints this picture that says, if necessary, you have to be willing to give up your life. Jesus makes it clear that we have to, with our life, with our energy, with our resources, be willing to invest. And here's what that means. It means that nothing is off limits. Nothing. My time, my money, my stuff, my car, my energy, my availability, my accessibility. And I could keep going. None of those things are off limits limits, that I'm willing to give up anything big or small. I'm willing to go out of my way to get out of my comfort zone to the edge of those classrooms, to the edge of the the streets, to the edge of the community, to the edge of the city to invite people to the party. And then I'm going to make them welcome and feel welcome once they come. And these are people that might not be the first to come to mind when you're making out invitations. And Jesus says, those are the people in addition to everything else that's good in your life and all the other people that I've placed in your life that are good and healthy, I also want you to write out invitations to those who aren't the first to come to mind. You know what I've noticed in my life, guys? I, I invest in so many things that end up not mattering. But the biggest investments I've ever made are the investments that I've made in people, especially young people. So I want to encourage you to invest in those long-term investments, even though you don't see where it's going, and maybe even deep down you think it's not going anywhere. Be willing to make those investments. So as we close down, here's what I want you to know as we kind of surround back to school Sunday. Wellhouse is committed to the point that if we ever get off track on this, we'll shut down. We are committed to investing in you. You as students, you as kids, we're, we're, we're committed to investing in you as families. We don't care what that family looks like. We don't care if it's, you know, the traditional. We don't care if it's the non-traditional. We don't care if it's grandparent-led, guardian-led, or state-led. We are interested in you as families. I want you to know that we are interested in, and committed to investing in you as teachers, I'm going to tell you at the end today some ways that you can get involved investing in local teachers. We're interested in investing in your schools. One of the best things we ever did, I got to meet with a church this week and their staff, and they were asking the questions like, you know, how do we turn this ship of being inside-focused to outside-focused? And I said, the first thing you need to do is find a school. Find a school that you can invest in. And we're interested, we are committed to investing in Gateway, I see Mr. Garland here, who's the principal there, and Ms. Deal, who's with, with Goodlettsville Middle School, one of the principals there. And we're, we're going to continue to invest. And I can't wait till we get to pick up our third investment, our fourth investment. we got backpacks that are going to go to Hunter's Lane today. We're going to continue to invest in schools because we understand that school is where so many positive things can happen and do happen that don't always happen at home. So we're investing in those. We're investing in in you as administrators, as influence and mentors. And here's why. Because we want a full house, and that has nothing to do with attendance here. We want to make sure that people understand, just like Rachel said, that they are loved by Jesus and that he has reserved a seat at his party for them. So that's what we're committed to. 
And part of that is going to be a commitment to prayer, and it begins with that, and it, that's the constant thread that regardless of what we do, how many food bags we fill or how many backpacks we bring or how many times we show up to do spooktacular reading or anything else that we do, that what is constant in all of that is a spirit of prayer. So this morning, I want to, I want to pray specifically for two groups of people. And Jason Billingsley, one of our shepherds, uh, he and his wife Tanya have just invested so much in young people, students. They go to camp with us every year. They hosted a dinner at their house not long ago for young couples who are starting their life together and starting families. And, and so I thought, who better than to pray for you as moms and dads and guardians and grandparents and students and kids than one of our shepherds who I know prays for you guys every day. So we're going to pray at this time. So here's what I want you to do. If you are a student, if you're a kid, if you're a parent, if you're a guardian, if you are an influencer, you take care of a, a kid in some way. Can you shoot your hand up? All right, so everybody else, you see them? So just kind of be mindful. So Jason's going to pray for that group in particular, that, that, that you have just this overwhelming sense that God has got you regardless of how rough those moments would get. So Jason, will you pray for that group? Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you this morning, and we are just in awe of, of you and what you do for us. Father, as we look around this room and see all the hands that go up, we realize that these people um, have just accepted an amazing responsibility, the um, responsibility of raising children. Father, we, um, we thank you for that. I know that there are times when my children were younger and people would say, or, you know, oh, are those your kids? And I would stop and think to myself, they're actually God's, but he's letting me watch them for a while. And Father, I, I am just so grateful for that responsibility and so thankful for it. And Father, I ask that you bless each and every one of these families, that you give them strength, that you give them patience. I know that times are fixing to get busy with practices and games and recitals and plays and all the things that, that come along with this time of year. But, Father, I ask that you give people energy so that they can, can do all the things that are necessary, but that you give them wisdom as well. Father, I realize that we say that we're imperfect people, but we're also imperfect parents. And, Father, I, I just ask that you give us the ability to, to think through your eyes to see what you want us to see. And Father, that you bless each and every one of these families with an incredible year. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So here's what I want you to know, families. At any moment, you can call on us and we are there. At any moment, we, we may not know all the answers and have all the solutions, but we will walk through whatever it is that you're going through with you. We love families. Another part of the, the morning that we want to pray for is our, our teachers, our administration. I, I came by on Friday just for a second here, and I already saw exhausted teachers. I'm like, you are four days in. I'm, they're like, this is hard. It's like we just left. And I get that. And, and while I don't do it every day, I, I, I try to put myself in your shoes and walk a mile. And, and I've been down here, and I've seen Miss Deal with the radio or like six radios on, and she's like, hey, I'll be right back, and I don't see her for half an hour, and, and there's something that's happened on the third floor, and it's just that. So, you know, administrators, 
It's not just the teachers who are doing lesson plans, but it's ensuring that everyone else stays safe and moves where they need to and scores are coming up. And, and then I think about others who work in, in various parts of, of school boards and facilities and all of those things that, that have to happen on a daily basis, 180 days a year, to ensure that a, a student, a kid, has the very best chance they have in order to not just get an education, but begin to grow physically and begin to grow emotionally. And all of those things. And so I want Jim, who is a longtime administrator. He was a, a Metro principal. He's done private school, public school. Uh, he retired, but he can't stay away. He's still teaching school. And uh, the good thing about what he does now, though, he can decline. He can go, no, I'm not coming. I'm not subbing for you today. Um, but, but Jim has spent his life walking where you've walked and doing what you do and being frustrated in the moments, and celebrating in those same moments, and all these things. And so I thought, who better than one of our shepherds, Jim Morris, to pray. So if you are a teacher, administrator, you work at a school in any way, form, or fashion, work for the school board, can you shoot your hand up? Okay. There's a lot of you. So, all right, we just want to pray this next prayer for you. So, Jim, go ahead. Father God, we come before your throne, and we thank you for blessing us with this day. We thank you for giving us this time together to focus on teachers. And Father, that's a focus on your dear son, Jesus, the great teacher. And Father, we just pray that each teacher in this room and all of those teachers and administrators and school workers will look to you for the pattern that they want to follow. Father, we are well aware, as you are, of the great challenges that school folks face every day. They are tremendous. Father, you are well aware that there are so many mornings where it's difficult to put the feet on the floor and to stand and to just get ready and to face those challenges again. But Father, you also know of the great rewards. And you know that when teachers and administrators and school workers pause for a moment to share something positive, to put their arm around a hurting child, Father, you know you know that's when they're the most like Jesus. And those things happen every day in every school. But that's not what gets reported. That's not what we see on the news. We only see the negative. And we only hear the negative. But Father, we know that these folks sitting in this room are about doing the right thing. And I pray, Father, that you will give them strength to face those challenges. And I pray that they will see those rewards and that they will know those rewards. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be upon Gateway Elementary. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be upon Goodlettsville Middle School. I pray that it will be over this entire district because, Father, no one can close you out of public education. 
We might say it on paper, and it might be a law, but guess what? We know that there are Christian people walking these halls every day, and they are making a difference in the lives of young people. So, Father, we know you're here, and we know that you will be here, and no law can keep you out of a public school. That's the good news today. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this great privilege to work in one of the greatest professions ever known to man. Thank you. And I ask your blessings upon each person that raised their hand and just give them power and strength to face tomorrow and every day. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love. Thank you for his great example as a teacher. And it's through his holy and righteous, most perfect name that we all say together, amen.